You're listening to the Screaming Pods Network. Welcome to the SOV Podcast. You give me that funny feeling in my tummy. We are T-H-E-S-O-V-P-O-D. The T-H-E stands for the, and we are the S-O-V podcast, man. I'm Mike Delaney, and joining me now, until the great whenever bro, is the Babelicious Brad Face Sitter Henderson. Brad, how the fuck are you? I am doing absolutely wonderful. Thank you for asking. <laughs> Anything in particular make today better than every other day, like, say, the fact that we're sitting across from each other on a Friday morning drinking some great coffee and just enjoying some some wet smooches. A- anything besides that, though, Brad? No, it's just a beautiful Friday, and I hope everybody that is listening is having a beautiful Friday. Uh, either it's morning, uh, afternoon, or evening, um, because it's beautiful to be alive. Even in this political climate, I can find things to be happy about, and that's talking to you. It's like Patrick Hernandez said in the great 1970s, we were born, born to be alive. Brad, we're on episode three, man, the canonical episode three, and I feel like we're, we're jumping the shark a little bit here, but uh, do we have do we have something going on, like a, like a giveaway, a trivia contest, something that that uh, can get our, our listeners involved with our SOVPOD, my brother? We do. We do. On um, the, the question that was on uh, Twitter, for those who don't have Twitter, they just listen to the show, there was a question asked um, on social media, and we actually gave a timestamp because I figured it might have been a little too hard. It was a really, really tough question. Um, so the timestamp that we give uh, give the hint is between 55 minutes and an hour and 10 minutes. Um, I make a reference to something, a title of a gay porno, referencing something that Mike says. Um, it's I'm not talking about the porno. I'm not even talking about a movie. I just say it. Uh, you have to tell us what that gay porno is, and you're entered into a drawing. And we can actually tell what the drawing is now. Uh, so those that have already entered do not know. Do you want to give that uh, give that detail, Mike? No, I don't. I do not want to do the co- the proverbial cock block to you, my friend. Why don't you tell them what the what the drawing is and for? Well, since Arby's is a proud sponsor of the SOV Pod, um, they will be donating a gift card uh, to the lucky winner of the drawing. I will say that our first episode was uh, overwhelming numbers. Uh, I never expected anything other than maybe 12, um, which I think we joked around on the first show. <laughs> yeah, episode zero. But, uh, yeah. yeah, episode zero. But it's it's very, like, it, it's surprisingly awesome how many people hopefully are into SOV. Um, and also people that just want to listen to our ridiculous banter, which is also fun, too. <laughs> I hope. 
for some. Hey, God bless our listeners and God bless Arby's, the number one sponsor of T-H-E-S-O-V-P-O-D. The T-H-E stands for too hot and edible, just like Arby's. Brad, this week, you and I are getting right to the main event, man. We're going to jump right into our double feature. It's a James Bryan double feature featuring Jungle Trap. James Bryan, baby. <laughs> yes, sir. The resident James Bryan expert. Our double feature today features Jungle Trap 1990 slash 2016. There's a fun story to go with that. And Run Coyote Run from 1987. So while we are in the jungles of South America... We're going to take a step backwards about, uh, let's call it three years, and we are going to jump right into 1987's Run Coyote Run from James Bryan and Renee Harmon. Brad, what do we need to know about Run Coyote Run? Well, the story behind Run Coyote Run is uh, pretty interesting. Both of these films have two very interesting um, stories. So... The story that is, I've heard is that there was a, uh, a, uh, a car that was being sold, a used car, and um, in the trunk of the car, uh, there was a plastic bag full of videotapes. And in that bag, there was like a copy of like Jerry Maguire, Liar Liar, you know, some other popular uh, films. And but there was a, a clamshell with um, kind of like this distorted paper cover it had, and it read um, "Run Coyote Run." Um, and this tape got back to uh, Zach Carlson. I'm not sure if Zach was in the exchange of the car or not, but uh, he was given or knew about this tape. So they um, automatically thought "Run Coyote Run." has always been known as an alternative title for uh, Lady Street Fighter, one of um, James Bryan earlier, earlier films with Renee Harmon. But it, come to find out, it is not. It was another film that they did, um, 1987, uh, kind of in the midst of um, kind of James Bryan's uh, porn career he took for, uh, you know, seg- kind of segued into. And it is just it's it's this shot on video uh, film that almost feels like a demo reel for James Bryan and his in his other films. So, so when you start watching Run Cody Run, um, you're going to say, "Well, this isn't shot on video." You're right; it's not. It's uh, clips from Lady Street Fighter that segues into. Um, what is known as Run Cody Run from 1987, the shot on video excerpts, basically, that's what I'll call them, excerpts, because <laughs> it's just little shots um, of, uh, of this film that we're going to be talking about, Run Cody Run. So <laughs> how this all occurred is, you know, they got the tape, they con- contacted James Bryan. Um, he was like, yeah, this was never really officially released. They had some copies for the, you know, the crew. And some friends, and they just never officially released it. So uh, Zach Carlson and, and Joe Zimbia they went to uh, James Bryan, got the masters for uh, Run Coyote Run, and they distributed what is known now known today as one of James Bryan's lost films that he um, that he made and just kind of 
I, I wouldn't necessarily say gave up on because there obviously wasn't a lot of money put into Run Cody Run because, like I said, they they used about four or five different films that James Bryan previously directed or <laughs> directed in order to make this uh, Run Cody Run film. Yeah, the the way the way I understood the story is that yeah, it's a friend of Zach Carlson's in uh, San Francisco, California, and that's where uh, that's where the the used car was purchased, and you know the plastic bag <laughs> full of videotapes uh, uh, was found. And yeah, it got back it got back to Zach, and uh, the the movie itself was as complete as we see it today through uh, through Mondo and, and Bleeding Skull. Uh, the way I understand it, though, Brad, is that. Renee Harmon, the the writer and the star of um, many of these James Bryan shot on video pictures, she she was the one who was responsible, or she put it in her own responsibility to to sell the rights uh, to the video stores and whatnot. And I heard that she got you know somewhat kind of far with selling Run Coyote Run to a chain like say Blockbuster or something, but nothing ever happened, and yeah, it just kind of just fell by by the wayside. But uh, this this is an interesting picture in that, and in, in you kind of hinted at it, or uh, you, you mentioned it in passing, that, that this film uses footage from other movies. You said Lady Street Fighter, uh, for instance. So so they're using 16 millimeter footage uh, in this picture uh, and the shot on video. But do they use more than one movie within Run Coyote Run? Yeah, they use um, pretty much... Uh, most of James Bryan's uh, films that he he made, um, for example, it opens up with um, with uh, Lady Street Fighter as she's walking through, and she has that gun battle uh, in the hallway. Um, and then we jump into uh, clips of Hell Riders. So anything that's in the car with motorcycles is James Bryan's Hell Riders from uh, 1984. And then we also have uh, clips of Executioner Part 2 the, that he made with Harmon. So I, I guess maybe three. Um, I, I don't think no clips from Don't Go Into the Woods are in there. Um, I've heard I, I haven't seen Boogie Vision in quite some time. That was one of his uh, X-rated flicks from uh, the late 70s. But for the most part, uh, Lady Street Fighter and the Executioner and Hell Riders are heavily used um, in in um, Run Coyote Run. And in a way, uh, Run Coyote Run is somewhat of a pseudo remake sequel to Lady Street Fighter because it's almost like a retelling of the story, um, just in a different aspect. Uh, obviously, Harmon's older. And it's like almost like looking back. So it is kind of this uh, almost this Silent Night, Deadly Night Part Two, uh, you know, kind of how they did that with kind of a telling of a new story, but flashing back of reasons why they're like that. Um, kind of the same on par with uh, the whole uh, Lady Street Fighter, a.k.a. Run Cody Run. So <clears throat> so it's interesting that you say that uh, this serves somewhat as a <laughs> as a, a sequel in, in in sorts to Lady Street Fighter because if I remember right at the end of Lady Street Fighter don't they have kind of like a promise of like Lady Street Fighter returns or something so th- this could be like the unfulfilled promise man of uh that Lady Street Yeah it sequel. is kind of a sequel too yeah it's 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 really bizarre 
But it, I mean, yeah, it is a sequel because she's having flashbacks, but it's kind of like a remake at the same time. Uh, it's uh, it's understandable why kind of like they were done with it and they were just like, oh, OK, well, whatever. <laughs> we'll just let it sit um, because I don't think there was obviously a huge loss other than probably them editing the film together and a couple set pieces. But there isn't anything extravagant that they filmed for Run, Cody, Run other than a couple you know, scenes just talking, um, to, to be, it's very talky. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. And a lot of those performances, and this will come back to, and, uh, our talk later about, um, jungle trap, but I, I love some of the, the character interactions, uh, in, in these two pictures in run coyote run in particular, which I saw after I saw jungle trap. Uh, so I, I saw Jungle Trap first. So then w- by the time I watched Run Coyote Run, I was familiar with, uh, a lot of the, the players that kind of serve between, uh, both pictures. And in particular, God damn it, the name is on <laughs> the tip of my tongue. The dude who plays the, uh, the priest, the father, he looks like, uh, Josh Pius from, uh, <laughs> from like those, uh, 1990s independent film pictures. He was in like, uh, <laughs> Brad, you got to save me. Can you hear me, Brad? I, I, I know I can hear you. I just don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. The the dude who plays the uh, the priest in Run Coyote Run. That he's always you know kissing the crucifix and he. Uh, who's what's that guy's name? He's, I know who exactly who you're talking about, but I don't know what you're talking about. Well, yeah, I'm saying he looks like somebody, but I'm I'm also saying Brad. Because my mind like goes nine thousand places at once. I'm saying he looks like somebody, but more to the point, I like his interactions with uh, with Renee Harmon in the picture. I like I like the interplay that they have, and I don't I don't know how much do we want to give away about what happens at Run Coyote Run because it's you can give away everything. You think so? Like it's an old picture, but I mean, like <laughs> it wasn't really seen until just a couple years ago. So I feel like we'd be. Uh, We'd be spoiling too much. I don't, I don't know. What you want to spoil it? No, no, no. I don't think we have to spoil it because I mean, as far as it's just, it's like I said, it's it's more like a demo reel than anything for for Brian because he used all kind of the spectacular stunts and fight scenes and shootouts from his other films, um, and then spliced them in t- together with the kind of the walking around and talky talky of the Run Coyote Run. <laughs> so. Um, it, it, like I said, you watch it and it's like, man, I, I want to watch these other films that James Bryan has made rather than maybe Run Cody Run. <laughs> um, but it, I think it, I think Run Cody Run is better to watch after you've kind of, uh, you know, eaten everything that a James Bryan has done. I think you'll enjoy it a little bit more because there was that time, you know, after uh, basically Hell Riders was kind of his last big movie before he jumped into pornography um did pornography for a little while and then you know he he was making run cody run kind of at that same time uh you know shooting on video and uh, this is after after run cody run he had jungle trap and then he was done he never made another film to my knowledge unless he has another lost film but um you know, he kind of got into that video world and found a, a quick way to make some easy cash. Um, instead of filming on these bigger movies, he, yeah, I think he was just a kind of a way to make money, maybe. Um, and that's kind of like how Harmon was. That was her, her history. I mean, she started out 
um, you know, doing uh, theater with um, kind of on the um, army base uh, with with uh, with uh, uh, other wives that were just kind of you know sitting at home and drinking wine and chatting it up. Uh, she she was very interested in theater, so she had this kind of traveling theater thing that she did. And then slowly got into small production, and that's when she met James Bryan, and kind of everything took off. So, um, you know, she's one of the queen in my eyes. She's one of the queens of exploitation that doesn't get uh, enough credit. I mean, we have people like you know uh, Stephanie Rothman and and Doris Wishman who were behind the camera, but with uh, Renee Harmon, she was you know a producer, she was a writer, she was an actress. Uh, you know, she even played co-director. Uh, is been told at times, and I think with her uh, history, um, she saw kind of this way to say, hey, well, we did all this work, and you know, let's kind of do this thing now. Trying to make, probably make some extra money, cheaply shooting on video because just kind of how like Graydon Clark was, uh, he knew how to stretch a dollar, and that was kind of with Harmon and Brian. They knew how to take that little bit of money they had and make this kind of grand opus at you know at that point in time of these action films that are just completely insane. Yeah, and one one thing one thing that uh, Renee Harmon was doing, she's of course the uh, the lead actress in. Run Coyote Run, and she'll also be the the star and the writer of uh, Jungle Trap later. But one thing she was doing that was uh, really interesting to me is she she ran acting classes or some kind of acting school, and she would cast these shot on she would cast these shot on video uh, movies that she did with James Bryan out of uh, those classes. So she would take her her best students or her most uh, extroverted students and <laughs> put them uh, uh, in these in these pictures. But um, getting back to the my, my point, which was already escaping me uh, before, you know, I stopped talking last time uh, as f- like focusing on just the what you call the the walkie talkie uh, parts of Run Coyote Run, which are like the primary uh, shot on video segments of the film, because all the action stuff, all the shootouts, the explosions that in run coyote run, that tends to be reused um, film footage. What I was saying was right. that all the, the shot on video stuff in run coyote run, I, I, I find it highly compelling. And in particular um, the, the relationships they set up with Renee Harmon and the, uh, the FBI agents or the mobsters um, kind of this double cross, uh, B storyline that they come up with, uh, is that's what I found, uh, particularly charming about the picture. And especially when <laughs> everything comes to a head, uh, towards the end of the, the main story and we get double cross after double cross after double cross. And I, I had a lot of, yeah. <laughs> I had a lot of fun with that. And I, I fucking love, man. I love when there's like multiple double crosses in a movie and then on like the last double cross, it just fucking cuts to the credits. They're like, we're done. We've, we've crossed enough people. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's just a fun little kind of history between Harmon and Brian, uh, as well. Uh, it's just, it's a really bizarre story that they kind of came up with. And it, I mean, the script isn't that much, like the script isn't long, uh, what they, what they would have written, but it's just like scenery changes so quick. 
uh, and it's and it's very hard to tell who, who's who as far as the characters because I know that there's a sequence when two guys are fighting. It's like it's a scene out of um, Hell Hell Riders. Uh, and then they like they bust through this door, and then it becomes the executioner part two in the same fight scene, but with basically two different actors. So we have four actors um, uh, <laughs> in this uh, in, in in this in this sequence, and it's like, wait a second, what is happening? But I mean, that's all in good fun in kind of the you know the kind of DIY um, aspect that Harmon and Brian had. And it's just, I don't know, it's just a fun little bit of history. And, and that's what makes this shot on video film uh, special because it's it's almost like pure passion. It's it's not giving up because they were like, man, we made all these movies. They did all this work. They, they were producers. They were writers, directors. Um, you know, they, they weren't in it really for the money. Uh, I mean, Brian did did make some, you know, some good cash uh, making some of these films because this is the time that exploitation was really high. It was easy to get in movie theaters and films did very well. And then he jumped into the porno scene, which, uh, you know, obviously those movies in uh, the late 70s and in uh, in the 80s made made uh, grandiose amount of, um, amount of film, uh, money. So. It's it's just a it's a fun little piece of history, and it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But um, it's it's re- like you said, it's compelling, it's fun, um, it's a it's a really good time to watch uh, to watch this film. But I really do suggest that after watching uh, his filmography, just to kind of get a better taste of what this film was about and why they did it and. Uh, kind of how they all went about making it at the same time. Yeah. One thing I thought was, uh, particularly cool. And this is kind of the, uh, uh, like the post deconstruct, like the super meta is, uh, Mondo and bleeding skull offer this film on VHS, like a brand new, uh, VHS, uh, copy of it. So that's actually how I got to enjoy it for the first time. So (laughs) my, I, you know, the sounds really, uh, mixed really low on the on the vhs so i had to do that thing brad where i pump up the fucking auxiliary on my uh on the the auxiliary uh volume input on my tv i had to pump it up so i heard that hum that was constantly like (laughs) and then the volume was really muted on on the dialogue so i had to turn it up even higher so i have this constant buzz and uh the vhs tape has a lot of natural uh glitches in it uh, cause it, it just comes from the, the master that they found in the, the fucking trunk yeah. of a car. But it was, it was a super fun way to, uh, to, to discover this movie. And not unlike the way it was discovered, you know, just a few years ago, um, in San Francisco out of a <laughs> used car. Um, but yeah, no, it's super, like, I, I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, like Brad said, the main storyline's highly contrived. Renee Harmon plays someone who might be a psychic, is a psychic, might be a cop. It <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make any of the storyline doesn't make a lick of sense at all. I know. I was I was trying to draw a lot. I'm like, is she a molder? Is she a scully? She's a molder and a scully. And I, I couldn't I couldn't fucking <laughs> Yeah, I've I've watched the film um 
two or three times, and I still couldn't tell you what it's about. I just enjoy, because I, like I've said countless times uh, already, and this is episode three, um, is that it, we're watching family home videos yeah. at this point, and that and that's and that's what this is. It's a it's a like a demo reel of James Bryan with a family video of him, and uh, it's a beautiful time capsule of uh, basically Harmon and uh, Brian's career together. I'll tell you this too: the the music in the film I I thought was highly compelling. <laughs> um, there there's this like disco beat Ennio Morricone like uh like fucking western sound that they have going for a lot of like the mob showdowns that uh, that recurs throughout the the picture that I found um, <laughs> highly invigorating. I loved it. I'm gonna st- uh, try to rip myself a MP3 of it <laughs> as soon as I can. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's if that's music from the past films because I, I mean, I've seen I've seen you know Lady Street Fighter. I've I, I've seen all those films a couple times, probably a piece, but I can't re- really remember the soundtracks. But I wouldn't put it past Brian for reusing um, soundtracks from his old films to to mix in this new one. Um, because I think this was all trying kind of a ploy to make some extra cash. Saying, hey, we made a new movie. <laughs> Not really. Yeah, um, I mean, it's... But you'll enjoy it, hopefully. And it's obvious that uh, they're not making a new movie when they show the same explosion 15 times. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, you know, I, I don't even think that's from a movie. I just think that's from, like stock footage that they had. I don't even know if that's from any of the movies because it looks totally different from because Hellrider like Lady Street Fighter is pretty easy to tell because Renee Harmon's characters and all those scenes for the most part. Uh, Hellriders was I think shot on sixteen millimeter, so it's like really really fucking gritty, very yellow. Um, that film has been fucked up for a long time. And then we have Executioner Part 2, which is usually the blonde guy. I can't, is it Robert, uh, is it, that's not Rob, Robert Mitchum. Who the fuck is in the Executioner? <laughs> it's, uh. <laughs> I almost said Robert Mitchum. No, um, no, it, not Aldo Ray. Aldo Ray's in some of the films. Bose Fenson? Uh, what is it? Bose Fenson? It's Christopher Mitchum. That's what that's I don't know. I was just thinking Mitchum, Robert Mitchum was the first one that popped in my head, but Christopher Mitchum was in the Executioner Part Two with Aldo Ray. For those that are like, Oh, Executioner Part Two, I'll track that down. Um, don't try to track down Executioner Part One because it doesn't exist. <laughs> there is no Executioner Part Part One. I think it was kind of their play for the Exterminator, maybe? I, I don't know why they they made a part two. I don't know the history of that. If um, uh, that they were trying to make maybe an ex, uh, exterminator part two, but that was that was made after after part one. I don't know when exterminator came out, but um, yeah, James Bryan and Renee Harmon have a fucking wild career. It's it's uh, it's quite it's quite amazing. But um, Ryan Cody Run is available through Bleeding Skull Video. Mike, do they still have the VHS available, or is it just the DVD at this point? You know, they only have the VHS available. Oh, it's not. Oh, it's one of the because yeah, when Bleeding Skull started, they weren't putting things on DVD as of yet. So there's basically just available digitally. You can buy for like ten dollars, or you can get the VHS what for twenty five. Yes, sir. Somewhere around there. So yeah, that's uh, that's a good way to watch it. Um, and if you're one of those, it's like, well, why does this film 
uh, portions of the film look, uh, you know, shitty. Why didn't they do a new transfer on that? Well, it was all transferred to video in the end, and that's what they edited everything on. Um, and that's what you're going to get. So you're not going to get pristine anything. It's uh, basically shot on video quality. Um, or not shot on video quality, but the, the love of shot on video being edited on VHS and uh, being distributed on VHS. That's what uh, that's what you'll get. So kind of another uh, almost a last slumber party thing where, where most of it's shot on film, but uh, segments and portions are shot on video. So you can uh, buy it from there. Um, I enjoy uh, watching it. Um, like I said, I would watch it afterwards. It's not very long. It's uh, I think it's under eighty minutes, um, but it's just it's just an, an, an amazing amazing thing. I would I would watch it after you're a seasoned viewer of Brian's work, uh, and I think you'll get a kick out of it. So, and before we transition, Brad, what are some of those other James Bryan pictures you would recommend people watch before they see the shot on video? Run Coyote Run. Well, I would definitely watch uh, Lady Street Fighter because that's kind of uh, the film you're going to be watching again um, with with James Bryan. I I particularly love um, Don't Don't Go Into the Woods. Um, uh, well, I guess it's called Don't Go Into the Woods Alone now, but it's originally titled Don't Go Don't Go Into the Woods. It's available through Vinegar Syndrome. Uh, that's been released. Uh, that movie is absolutely insane. So uh, through Brian's career, he has done a lot of uh, different genre films. He's he's made porno. He's made action. He's made slasher. Uh, he's made exploitation films. Um, he's done shot on video. This guy has done it all. Uh, he's very DIY as far as, as a filmmaker goes. He's got balls. Um, you know, every filmmaker is ambitious because they're making a movie, but there's certain aspects about them and being ambitious that, uh, I kind of look up to. And this guy just wanted to do everything. He, he, he didn't, he didn't really, I wouldn't say he didn't care. He just, he took pride in his work and he has this really fun aspect to him. Um, so you can start kind of with, he started a filmmaker is in like in the seventies, there's a, a really cool movie called, I love you. I love you not. Um, then he did the X rated boogie vision. That's a lot of fun in, in the seventies. Then he started working with Harmon, uh, originally on lady street fighter. Uh, she was doing theater and, and, and producing some films. So she like, uh, she produced and was, uh, uh, kind of a co-star in frozen scream. Uh, that she did. Uh, she was in like, I think it was called Cinderella 2000. Around that time she met Brian uh, because she was kind of a script supervisor. She was uh, doctoring up scripts uh, kind of in the indie uh, exploitation scene. Um, and then she got heavy like into producing, wanted to be in front of the camera and behind. Um, so then she started working with Brian heavily, which lady that led to Lady Street Fighter, the Executioner Part Two. Hell Riders is a lot of fun. It's a fun little motorcycle flick. Um, and then they did the Brian Cody Run and Jungle Trap together. Um, so I'd watch those. As far as uh, his porn titles, I haven't seen a lot of them other than uh, Thanks for the Memories, which I think is the best porn title. In the entire world, it's hysterical. <laughs> um, that was filmed, actually, I believe, in St. Petersburg. Um, fun little fact, 
I work with a woman whose best friend lives in the house where that film was filmed. Um, so I'm in this way loosely based or loosely connected to James Bryan, which I love. But yeah, thanks for the memories, 1987, which isn't a great porno, but um, it's James Bryan directing some porno porno films. So he's 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 got quite the filmography. And anything kind of you jump into, I think you'll enjoy if you like exploitation or something weird. So yeah, Brett, I I agree with you a hundred percent on your assessment with uh, James Bryan and his multi-storied career. Um, reading about him and and exploring his work over the the years, I've um I, I can't help but kind of compare him in some ways to uh, to Herschel Gordon Lewis <laughs> from uh, from the sixties and very early seventies, and in particular. Brian's relationship with Harmon reminds me of the uh, kind of that blood trilogy era of um, Herschel Gordon Lewis and, and David F. Freeman, except it's more of like a, a shot on video <laughs> version of, of uh, that partnership. But um, yeah, I mean, from from the theater background to to using uh, uh, friends that um, that have other jobs within film besides like acting and, and having them perform as actors in these shot on video projects. I mean, he, uh, he, he reminds me so much of the DIY Herschel Gordon Lewis. Yeah. And it's in every film of his is a family affair. It really is. Um, uh, reusing actors and act- same actors over and over again. It's just, it's, uh, it's a really heartwarming, uh, tale in a way of 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 uh his career and his films he's made well yeah i mean as as a as a filmmaker myself and i'm i'm, I'm sure you would agree with me i mean it's uh i mean that's <laughs> that's ultimately what we're striving for i mean at least in in my case i'm not sitting around writing my scripts with my with my friends thinking that i'm gonna go produce like a multi-million dollar blockbuster I mean, I, I just want to tell the story and I, I want to make this work, uh, with a particular group of people and, and to see this happen, uh, throughout James Bryan's career again and again, it's, uh, it's awe inspiring, uh, to say the least. You know, before we transition to Jungle Trap, I'm not, I'm not going to ask you what you would eat for Run Coyote Run. I'm going to tell you what I would eat because I feel that I don't get to go first and I kind of want to go first and you always get to go first. It's not fair, but, um, but for Run Coyote Run, all I would eat is I would eat some deep fried Roadrunner. Man, never had that. Neither have I. It, it, can you eat Roadrunner? Do you know? Um, I'm sure you could eat anything, whether it's uh, tough and uh, hard to eat. Maybe I. I don't know. That seems like that would be a tough animal, uh, as far as like because they're fast. Everything they're super fast. Yeah, they're like hard can, to catch. Uh, yeah, uh, but have fun with that. So I'm going to catch a Roadrunner. I like to be more real. I like to be more real with my foods so that way people can, you know, consume the foods that I'm talking about um, while before or after they watch the film. I would probably eat what they had on set during the filming of Run Cody Run is just fucking hot dogs. Ah. And... And nothing special, just you know, some ketchup and mustard. Uh, maybe, maybe some conies. I don't know. I, I people say chili dogs. I'm from up north originally. I, chili dogs is not the same thing as a coney. If you ever been to Coney Island, you know, you you grab uh, you know that hamburger meat. You cook that up. You grab some manwich, 
You can grab tomato paste if you want, but uh, if you grab some manwich, some celery seed, um, some black pepper, some salt, some Worcester sauce, um, you know, uh, uh, you, uh, some onion mix, you throw all that into uh, your manwich, you dump your meat in there, uh, you slather your hot dog up with that, put some onions and some shredded, uh, you know, cheese on there, and boom. You got yourself a cone. That's the shit right there. Uh, no joking. The the number one way I prepare hot dogs for myself, <laughs> I always go the Chicago dog. And yeah, I have a I have a little shaker. Chicago dogs are the best. I have a little shaker of celery salt available to me at all times because. Yep, that's fuck. right. Man. Celery salt is shit. <laughs> celery <laughs> seed. Those are ass hot mm. dogs, man. You need the real shit. You need yeah. ah. But I'm pretty sure that's what they had on set during that movie because it was cheap as fuck. So, uh, how about we talk a little Jungle Trap? Let's go to Jungle Trap. Brad, we are right here live in the middle of the South American jungle. And I was going to sing a little bit of In the Jungle, The Mighty Jungle, The Lion Sleeps Tonight. But there's no fucking lions in South America, man. There's there's jaguars. And you and I dodged a couple jaguars uh, this morning uh, out of our palatial uh, high-end hotel that we're staying at in the middle of the jungle. Not unlike the the hotel that shows up in Jungle Trap uh, 2016-1990, also a James Bryan, Renee Harmon picture. Brad, what's on the menu for Jungle Trap, our first feature? Uh, even though we are in, in South America, I would try to choose something a little more uh, healthier. Maybe not even a South American dish. Um, just because we've talked about Totino's, you know, pizza rolls and, and bagel bites and everything. I think that we need to jump into um, something a little bit healthier snack. And I think something with uh, Jungle Trap, um, broccoli... Um, or not, not broccoli, but, uh, buffalo cauliflower wings. Have you ever had those? Buffalo cauliflower wings? No, but I am putting them in my fucking mouth. Well, they're, they're not wings per se. I guess you just say buffalo cauliflower. So basically it's cauliflower, uh, deep fried and tossed in buffalo sauce. So it's a healthy, healthier snack for you, but it's, it's absolutely delicious and it's easy to fix, you know, just if you have a deep fryer, it's it's very simple. Just, you know, toss uh, whatever cauliflower you have, uh, d- deep fry it, and, um, you know, just toss it in some buffalo sauce. I prefer uh, Frank's Red Hot, maybe with, a, you know, a little bit of uh, a couple slices of butter. Heat it up, stir it up, make it a little bit thicker. Slather on there with a little bit of pepper. And I think you got yourself a nice snack. But I will say... Even though that is a healthier snack, I'm still going to wash it down with an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola. Oh, yes. What about you, Mike? What would you What would you serve up with some jungle trap? Hey, look, baby, I, I am your date. I'm going along for whatever you're making me, and I, do, I just want to put it out there that the Frank's Red Hot is the ideal sauce for cauliflower. It's, it's amazing. And um, you... You suggested earlier that it's buffalo. 
I think the original Frank's Red Hot is as buffalo and as hot and delicious as uh, the Frank's Buffalo could be. Uh, so I would not recommend getting the buffalo sauce from Frank's. I would just get the original Red Hot, which uh, the buffalo recipe yeah. is based Agreed. on. Yeah. And then uh, absolutely, the, the fucking ice cold Coca-Cola. You cannot beat that. I'm uh, I'm down to clown, my friend. And I'm not talking about... I'm not talking about an, a can from the refrigerator. I'm talking about putting that Joker in a cooler with some ice. Oh yeah, no, it's it. there's a big, big difference. No, big difference for sure. It's 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 probably the Mexican Coke too that we're getting just uh, north of where Oof. we are here in Ooh, South America. Yes, I would I would pop open a nice ice cold Mexican Coke. I'm thirsty. I'm drinking coffee this early morning, but after I get this coffee, I'm having a Coke. Yeah, no, I'd... and doing some Coke since we're in South America. <laughs> But before we get to the next segment of the show, we do need to have a quick word from our sponsors. Number 10, what's your reason for breaking the hamburger habit at Arby's? You're looking at it. A big roast beef platter with potatoes and coleslaw. Arby's is a big change of taste. And you, ma'am? Because a busy family like ours can get a wholesome meal. Arby's is a wholesome change of taste. And you, sir? Jumping right into it, Brad and I are talking about Bleeding Skull's release of James Bryan's Jungle Trap. Now, at, at the top of the show, Brad, I did mention that this film has two dates associated with it, 1990 in 2016 although i would contest the 2016 and say 2015 but that's a whole nother thing anyway there's two dates associated with jungle trap it's a movie that you know while we're talking about it of course this will come out but spoiler alert it's a movie that was uh made and left highly like roughly edited for around 25 years before the good folks at bleeding skull rescued it and uh Brought it back to its full glory for a world premiere in 2016. Before we get into it, Brad, tell us a little bit about your history with Jungle Trap. Because as I hear, you are at the world premiere. I was at the world premiere Jungle Trap. Um, so another fun little story um, that ties into Run, Cody, Run. Um, as I previously said about Zach Carlson going to James Bryan's house with Joe Zimbia, Annie, Annie Choi, they went to grab the master from uh, James Bryan. So uh, James Bryan uh, has kind of this uh, garage den setup where he has uh, posters, stills, uh, some props, uh, basically everything you think a filmmaker would have in uh, kind of little in uh, little odds and ends from the films, uh, press kits, every, everything you can imagine. So during their conversations, just hanging out and looking around and James Bryan showing off all his goodies and getting this master tape, uh, Zach Carlson notices over in one of the corners uh, just all these VHS tapes stacked saying Jungle Trap, Jungle Trap, Jungle Trap, Jungle Trap. And Zach's like, hey, James, what's this Jungle Trap over here? And he's like, oh, that's my other lost movie. Um, so James Bryan had, had two lost movies. Uh, many people don't even have one, but James Bryan had two. So uh, they... I think they started editing together Jungle Trap, but it was not even close to being finished. Um, had no music whatsoever, just these master tapes. 
So, uh, of course, uh, Zach and Joe jumped all over this. Um, you know, they, they helped with, uh, with, uh, James editing this film. Uh, Jones Zambia and Annie, Annie Choi did, uh, the music for, um, for the film. Um, which I would think would be a hard thing to do because you want to make it authentic and not throwbackish because this film was originally made in 1990. Um, so you didn't want to go too far. I think the music just fits perfectly. You wouldn't think it's a new soundtrack or new music. It, it really seems like it was done then and there in that time period, which I thought was beautiful. So uh, that's kind of the history of Jungle Trap and Run, Cody, Run. It's both of these films were lost, and um, the Bleeding Skull guys, Joe and Zach, uh, made these films have the life that they uh, deserve. Because, I mean, if anybody needed to treat these films like how they should be treated, uh, these guys definitely know how to, do, how to do it. And I think it's absolutely beautiful. And yes, I was there for the premiere of Jungle Trap. It was so amazing. James Bryan was there in person. He's just a he's just such a kind person and um you could he had like he had tears in his eyes when um kind of the introduction was happening and it was a sold out audience and he was so happy that people come to see this movie that uh, honestly like even he forgotten about. Um and he was just very kind and very, very thankful of, uh, especially Joe doing, doing – Joe's a wonderful musician to begin with. If you haven't heard some of his uh, music uh, in general, he has got a lot of his – you can find his music on Spotify. Um, he's just a really talented dude, and um, he really brought this together with the soundtrack because the soundtrack really does make the film 100%. And um, able to edit this film together, and, and it really feels like it was all done in 1990. It doesn't feel like, oh, we may have found this movie, let's edit it and throw some music together in 2017. No, not at all. You, it truly feels like it's made in that time period. Yeah, the, the soundtrack is phenomenal, as uh, as Brad has stated, his, his opinion. You could go on to Bandcamp. Uh, and that's actually where you could get the, mm. the full soundtrack. We linked it through our uh, Twitter recently. And at uh, T-H-E-S-O-V, we will uh, relink it um, so you can enjoy it. But yeah, no, Brad's 100% correct. It it doesn't sound like throwback music produced uh, within the last couple of years. It sounds authentic to the time. Uh, there's a lot of work that went into the soundtrack. There's uh, recurring themes for the different characters. I mean, maybe things that they wouldn't have even been able to afford in their shot on video budget. Yeah, and th- exactly. This one is far more shot on video than uh, than Run Coyote Run. There's only a short <laughs> bit at the beginning. Right. That's this uh, is a full full uh, yeah full full on uh, shot on video that that feel like number one. It's Jungle Trap. They're in the jungle. But they're obviously in a garage and in the backyard. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's the garage and backyard yeah. of Renee Harmon's uh, mom's house, her her deceased mother, when she took over the property. That's, yeah, that's where they were shooting. Um, and it's it's so beautiful. It's such a, such an amazing, like I said, another little time capsule of of these filmmakers making movies together. No, it's a it's a phenomenal picture, and it shares uh, it shares many of the same cast members as Run Coyote Run, as Brad talks about all the time. It's it's always a family affair, particularly with these James Bryan pictures. But um, 
Jungle Trap starts with some 16 millimeter footage of, uh, you know, what, what you'd be used to if, say, you came right off of Run Coyote Run, you'd be like, oh, this is going to be another hodgepodge, uh, picture putting together the SOV and the, the, the film stock or, um, recycled footage. But very shortly past the, the opening credits, they get rid of it. They just use, uh, they use New York. They use some grenades exploding and some kind of uh, ex-mercenary uh, bullshit uh, to explain something about uh, about this this jungle situation, and then it goes right into SOV, and it's it's SOV through and through, except for <laughs> except for some very well used stock footage of uh, natives and quote unquote savages in the uh, in the jungle, but um, the uh, the movie. Brad, here's here's what I love about Jungle Trap, is with shot on video, we're used to a few things. Uh, the first thing we're used to with shot on video at this time is we're used to pornography, right? We're used to right. We're used to porn being shot in this way, uh, and uh, you know, displayed for audiences, shot on video. Then we're used to horror horror movies being uh, shot on video, but th- this is something in between. I would say horror and like a sci-fi supernatural. And that's, that's what I found super fun and intriguing about Jungle Trap is it wasn't just your straight, uh, gore shot on video movie. Like they did a lot of, um, uh, psychological tricks <laughs> with, with the VHS camera work to, to play with the audience in a way that I, that I wouldn't have expected, um, a shot on video movie to do at this time. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that, uh, assessment. It's, 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 um, it's not a straightforward slasher by any means. It's just, there's, uh, you know, some voodoo stuff thrown in there, some ghosts thrown in there, some slasher elements. And, uh, uh, it's, it's very much in that vein of uh boarding house where you really don't know where these people are at times. And they're just kind of running around from room to room, kind of like Scooby-Doo. And, um, you know, some weird shit is happening. Like the hallways, you would talk about black mask. I don't think you could blast, uh, black mask it in this hallway because, uh, it's so <laughs> narrow. Like it's, it's more narrow. It's probably half the size as the sledgehammer, uh, hallways, but, uh, it's all, all in good fun of kind of the, the sets that they built. I can't imagine the sets being very big. They just probably filmed the same sets in different angles in order to make this happen. But, um, as far as like, you know, assessment of the film, I, I, I agree. It's, it's kind of all types. I don't think, you know, James Bryan never really made the same film twice. I, I would safe to say like each, like, you know, every film he did, even though like Hell Riders and, and um, The Executioner Part 2 are both action films, one's more or less kind of a biker exploitation film, uh, and Executioner Part 2 is more of just kind of an action film. Lady Street Fighters, like, uh, you know, female protagonists, women empowerment, kicking ass type thing. Uh, Don't Go Into the Woods was a slasher. Uh, film, so uh, he didn't want to do that again. So he definitely put this kind of supernatural element to it, which makes the movie even more fun because it gets a little even, it gets a little wackier, and uh, that's what I like. Even at times, it feels this is going out on a big, big limb here, and uh, everybody can say I'm wrong, and that's fine. But it 
seems very bizarre in the sense of when everything's kind of going cuckoo. Very um, 1977 house, the uh, Japanese film. Oh, kind of the, kind of the, the 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 wackiness. Not 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 like saying that's well James Bryan pulled from that film at all, but it's just it gets it, it got a little wacky, uh, and that's what I liked about it. It gets it gets a little wacky, but R- Renee Harmon is uh, is amazing and charming and. Uh, and awesome as ever. It's just, um, and like you said, this is one of this is one of their last film. Uh, this is their last film together, actually, uh, unless, like I said, unless there's another lost film in there. But uh, this was, I believe, one of the films where there was a lot of students of hers that 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 made this uh, that made up of the cast and everything. You're saying too, like um, you know how how James Bryan never made the same movie twice, but a lot of these shot on videos, particularly the two were. Uh, talking about today, this morning here in South America, <laughs> uh, these two movies were both written by and produced by uh, Renee Harmon, who, um, and yep. correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like, well, especially in, in the case of Jungle Trap, she had more, uh, I mean, well, well, James Bryan had control over the performances and uh, general director duties. Like she had more control over uh, the picture itself and uh, the tone and the casting. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, producer, writer, yeah. and star. Yeah, and and um, I mean, she, like I said, she's one of the unsung heroes of uh, of exploitation. I mean, when when I think for me. Um, I, I don't mean that. I didn't mean me as like in a pretentious way at all. But there's um, there's a few people that come to mind when I think exploitation, and, and the first person I think about is Jack Hill, um, because if you had to compare uh, James Bryan to any filmmaker, I think it would be uh, Jack Hill, because Jack Hill made everything. He made horror. He made action. He made black exploitation. Um, you know, made sex, sexy cinema like the Swingin' Cheerleaders. Uh, so very much kind of like Brian. He was uh, jack of all trades as far as a filmmaker goes. And um, I, and I don't think Brian would have been James Bryan if it wasn't for Ray Harmon, um, because Renee Harmon was the backbone. Yes, James Bryan was the director, but uh, if it wasn't for Harmon, I don't know if James Bryan would still have that same career if he would have made the movies that he did. Because there's uh, there's not too many uh, cr- like she's just she's crazy in the in the in the fact that she was just kind of a relentless uh, force uh, in making making these films. I mean, like I said, we have. Doris Wishman, we have Stephanie Stephanie Rothman, these these female filmmakers who who made uh, you know got into uh, you know this boys territory as they, they they call it, especially with exploitation films because these films were you know very misogynistic. They were very man driven. Uh, it was usually females in chains and stuff like that. But Stephanie Rothman, Doris Wishman, Renee Harmon, they got out there and they just gave it their all. And they're like, hey, look at us, and they did it better than the boys. And, uh, you know, as far as uh, kind of wearing hats, uh, fucking Renee Harmon needed a hat rack for everything that she did. I mean, she was balls to the walls involved with these films, you know, in front, behind, uh, everything with the camera. And uh, it's such an amazing thing. And I wish that, you know, it, I, it, and also we haven't touched that she's had written 
She's written many books on writing screenplays, making films for a dollar. Um, she has, I think, about five or six books. I have two of her books, uh, both on screenwriting. Some very odd insight. Um, I mean, obviously, these these books were written in the aspect – well, I mean, one was written after kind of Jungle Trap because Renee Harmon, I think, died in 06. Um so she wrote this book in uh, like 1998. Um, but I mean, it's still kind of that DIY attitude of how to write a screenplay, how to write your script with your budget in mind. Um, so she has written books on screenwriting. She has taught acting classes. She taught screenwriting at colleges. Um, you know, like I said, the only thing she never did was, I don't think she never directed a movie, but she might as well fucking should have. Like, I feel that every movie that she was involved with James Bryan, she should have probably got co-director because I can't imagine being that involved, um, and not having some say, obviously there was a good relationship between them because as far as two filmmakers working together that closely, um, you know, you have to have your boundaries set up, of course, and it's not, you know, you have too many hands in the pot, you get fucked up. But uh, with them, I'm, I'm, I'm sure they stood their ground, they knew where they wanted to go, they knew what they needed to focus on in order to make this happen, and that's the reason why they were able to make so many small films. I mean, yeah, it's four or five films they made together, but still, it's that's a fucking hell of a, you know, uh, you know, everything from... Uh, action exploitation films to shot on video horror. Uh, that's that's quite quite the resume. Yeah, and she, she typically writes herself as the the main protagonist, whether it's the main female protagonist or just the main protagonist uh, in in general for the picture. And yeah, to your point, like knowing that she produces these things, she uh, she uh, she does the set decoration, you know, at her mother's house and. <laughs> She procures the the set and and everything um, uh, for for these pictures to know that she's the central figure on camera is uh, and I mean her work in the front of the camera like really uh, really commands like the rest of the performances and yeah I'm I'm, I'm shocked too that she's not uh, she's not credited as a co-director. Um, known as some sort of assistant director in any capacity on these pictures, but um, again, that might be the uh, the friendly working relationship that uh, James Bryan and Renee Harmon had at the time. Right. Yeah, and I, I think the only other thing she 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 produced and and wrote some films that uh, you know uh, what didn't involve James Bryan, um, and she didn't work too much out of the scope of James Bryan. I mean, most of her career was with him. But um, like I said, uh, there's there's filmmakers. You could take any director: um, Spielberg, Carpenter, uh, Scorsese, uh, John Waters. Uh, you, you look at any other five films, you can kind of tell that those are their films. Um, you know, and they all kind of correlate with one another. They have that same feel, that same tone. James Bryan, you can't do that with. He's just all over the place. And like I said, very similar to Jack Hill. It's kind of hard to tell that these films are coming from these filmmakers because they were just so different. They had a different mindset for every one. Uh, I don't know if that's on purpose due to budgetary constraints, uh, whatever it may be. It's just it's it's amazing to watch filmmakers like that make something so different and make so many films in such a short span of time. Um, 
it's just it's it's truly awesome, and, and I'm glad James Bryan is still kicking and able to see um, kind of uh, the legacy that he created. And I hope I hope that he's more of a household name um, because he should be. Um, maybe the porno hurt his name a little bit. I mean, he obviously did the pornos under a different name. But it was soon, uh, you know, a few years ago, it was, you, you could tell that, or it came about that he, he directed these pornos in the 80s. You know what he should do? He should, he should do the pornos under the name Brian James and then just totally cockblock Brian James. <laughs> now, Brad. I'm sure Brian James would be very pissed. <laughs> Brad, when you read Renee Harmon's books, uh, do you read it in that kind of, DIY Sophia Loren voice uh, that she does in these pictures. Um, no, I, I I read it as if it was being written during those filmings of those films. Um, you know, kind of her sitting back and have um, just a notepad writing uh, stories. I mean, she does have stories in there. It's, it's very similar to reading um, Rebel Without a Crew from Robert Rodriguez, which I could still consider one of the best books written on uh, filmmaking. Even if, you, if you're an aspiring filmmaker, um, even even if you kind of like Robert Rodriguez, he did those Spy Kids movies, fuck that shit. Read Rebel Without a Crew because he was writing that before – in my, you know, he wrote it after, of course, he gained gained some fame, but he has those stories of, of being a filmmaker and how it became a filmmaker and is very much kind of like Renee Harmon. When I read those, I think of her just kind of sitting next to me and, and telling me these stories and, and telling me what to do because uh, I've written uh, a few screenplays in, in – uh, in my time and I've written big budget things and I've written kind of, Hey, if I was going to do this myself, how would I do it? And, um, kind of that mindset of filming with, you know, five grand or three grand or nothing. Right. And that's kind of like how, how they did. And, and it's a very interesting, there's a lot of interesting stories. Um, and the same thing, like I said, with Graydon Clark, uh, him, him making it was another person we should mention more as far as the kind of the DIY uh, filmmakers group, and he made, you know, he wrote this book called On the Cheap, and about how he started as nothing, um, and 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 became so huge. And Larry Cohen was another one that did that at the same time. Um, obviously, it's a more well known name. Yeah, but Graydon uh, Clark made Joe Don Baker movies, so that's like way cooler than anything Larry Cohen ever did. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it should, all these filmmakers they have so many great aspects to them, and um, they they truly are uh, inspirations for for any filmmaker, any film lover, and. And when you watch the films, even if you don't like it, there's there's this aspect to it, especially something like Jungle Trap, where, you know, the one thing I didn't really understand, and they didn't really touch this on in the Q&A with Jungle Trap, is kind of like, why? Why didn't he finish this? Especially being Renee Harmon in his last movie together. Um, they remained friends. Uh, you know, there was, it was, to my knowledge, there was no falling out between the two. Um, you know, especially after her death in, uh, I believe she died in 2006. It was right near my birthday, I believe. 
I can't remember. Yeah, she passed in um, 2006. Yeah, so she um it's 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 funny that he didn't complete the film, but um I I wish there'd be more involvement with with knowing kind of the whole backstory of, you know, was it 25 years or so that this film was uh unheard of. You know, is no no talk about Jungle Trap because there wouldn't have been any talk because they made it with a bunch of people that were just pals. Um, but, uh, yeah, and plus it's shot on video, so it's under the radar. I guess maybe with the not success of Run Cody Run, and I guess maybe the shot on video market was kind of, uh, going downhill in the 90s. I mean, I know they were making shot on video films, like, up until, like, I would say, like, 95. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even, even around that time, I don't know if it was so easy to make, you know, sell something at that point in time. Um, you know, in, in the, in the, cause I mean, they would have filmed it in 90, probably had everything together in like 91. Would they be able to sell something around that time? I don't know. So I imagine that has to play into it, but, um, I'm, I'm glad that it was released because I've been a Brian, James Bryan film ever since I saw Don't Go Into the Woods. Um, if you go back, uh, to our, one of our vinegar syndrome episodes on screencast, there's a story I tell about, um, my mom and myself with don't go into the woods um, that made it so special. And that's the reason why James Bryan's career was kind of always stuck in my head. Yeah. Don't, don't go in the woods alone. Um, as it's retitled on the <laughs> vinegar syndrome package, but yeah, that's, that's a, a picture that I could just, I, I would recommend anybody to, to blind buy it. Um, it has a fantastic commentary on there too, from, uh, from James Bryan. Uh, produced by the good folks at Vinegar Syndrome, and it's a uh, it's just a great uh, explanation of DIY filmmaking. Particularly, I mean, that's not shot on video, but uh, but uh, no, but they shot the entire movie without sound, right? Yeah, and then they did all the sound later, which is amazing. It's so like I wouldn't say I, I guess amazing might be the wrong wrong thing to say because it's like in a way it's like man, that's really stupid. But in a way, if they didn't do it, it probably wouldn't have had the charm uh, it does have, which uh, people say it's terrible. But I don't know, man. It's something about James Bryan. If it was anybody else, it might be terrible. But with James Bryan, it's just I don't know. And especially seeing like him now, it's just it's grandpa. It's uncle. Yeah. It's Uncle James Bryan making crazy movies. That's what that's what it feels. Yeah, don't like. go in the woods alone. Is is it's not terrible, and anyone who says it is can just like go fuck themselves and go watch Pay It Forward or uh, Paul Haggis's Crash or something. Like I don't, I don't give a shit. Like it's 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 not it's not terrible. It's not even a little bit bad. It's it's a it's a great DIY film, and um the the commentary itself is is great. And listen, look, there's also a commentary on. Bleeding Skulls DVD of Jungle Trap, where James Bryan is uh, joined by Zach Carlson and the good folks at Bleeding Skull, plus the uh, the composers of the new soundtrack, and it's it's a lot of fun uh, to give that track a listen to. Well, I haven't I haven't listened to that. That will probably give the answers about why it sat for so long. 
they they don't I haven't I haven't listened to that. They yet. don't really tap into that, Brad. That's why I didn't <laughs> jump on and <laughs> answer oh, your okay. query. But uh yeah. that that commentary track is uh is a lot of fun and like we said at the uh the top of the segment, it is available on mondotees.com through Bleeding Skull. You could get the DVD for $15 or and this is what I really recommend, the VHS for 25. You could buy them together for the grand price of $40 and just have this nice little SOV package and then hop over to Bandcamp and spend $7 for the download of the original soundtrack, which is I believe the only way to get they might you know it strike that reverse it uh i'm sure you could get it on lp through uh mondo because they are hipster cool like that hipster adjacent i I don't want to call them hipsters people hate it when you call them hipsters it's a little bit more okay these days brad to call them hipster adjacent and uh hip okay okay hipster adjacent people love vhs and vinyl so i'm sure mondo tees sells it um Brad, any final thoughts on Jungle Trap and or Run Coyote Run before we kind of sashay our way out of here? Buy them. Watch James Bryan movies. Buy them. I mean, yeah, you have to buy them. You can't go on fucking YouTube. Netflix isn't going to stream it. You you can't rent it from Vudu. Get over yourself. Go fuck yourself. You do have to spend some money to watch uh some of the, the pictures that we're talking about. And to revere the art, man. Like... This is art that you can only find if you discover it and or pay for it. Uh, next week, and plus, if you want, if you want Zach and Joe to continue, yeah, um, saving films along with Agfa, which I think Bleeding Skull is all Agfa now. Um, we need to have them keep saving movies like this because honestly, if it wasn't for Zach and Joe, we would not be talking about Run Cody Run or Jungle Trap. Definitely not Jungle Trap. Oh, there's there's a lot of films. No, there's a lot of films we're gonna cover that if Zach and Joe didn't uh, find them, or if Happy yeah. Accidents, like we we wouldn't know about them. So Blonde, Blonde Death, I didn't even know Blonde Death existed. Yeah. Uh, so we are in debt to the good work there, and you know, there, there's a lot of fun stories I know that Brad can share and that I can share too. But like, I, I would say in popular culture, a movie that wouldn't have existed if it wasn't for Zach Carlson is Miami Connection. <laughs> so, uh, so you you are yeah. you are in debt to the man. Spend your fucking fifteen dollars and uh, and help help fund more archaeological expeditions <laughs> for Agfa and Bleeding Skull to, to bring this shit to us. Now, next week, Brad, episode four, are we looking at some Polonia brothers? Is 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 that what I'm hearing? We will be. Now, these guys are 100% DIY filmmakers. Still are today. They're still doing the exact same thing they were um, at that point. So, we'll be watching um, uh, Splatter Farm, mm-hmm. which is very, very well known and also... Uh, We'll be watching uh, How to Slay a Vampire from 1995. Exciting. So we had our James Bryan double feature today. Next week on T-H-E-S-O-V-P-O-D, the T-H-E stands for The, and we are The S-O-V Podcast. We will be reviewing, not reviewing, I hate that word, reviewing. We will be diving into looking at uh, a Polonia Brothers double feature, uh, as Brad just said. Now... Brad, we also need to do some quick housekeeping before we get out of here. This is Friday, January 19th, if you're listening to this on the day of its release. Earlier this week, 
we found out we had a new home. We are now on the Screaming Pods Network. Brad, could you tell us a little bit about Screaming Pod? Yes, I can. So we, um, mainly Sean, because Sean is the mastermind behind everything over at the Screamcast and um, uh, Screaming Pods. Sean has always been amazing. Uh, He's got quite the head on his shoulders and he's very ambitious. Uh, So we were alone uh, as Screamcast when we very first started. We built the show from the ground up. Um, and then one of us.net was uh, kind enough to let us into their home. Um, we joined their network for a little while, um, gained more exposure through that. Um, but we felt that, uh, in no hard feelings anywhere, we felt that uh, kind of just going out on a limb and trying something on our own, uh, meeting the friends that we have made through the show, through social media and trying to grow. So uh, Screamcast has created Screaming Pods Network, which Screamcast, our show, the SOV uh, podcast, will be on uh, Brian Sauer's uh, Just the Discs podcast. Um, Of course, Mike's show, uh, Splat... um, What's your show called? Splat... Splat what? Splat House? Tingaleo, Tingaleo, fuck you, Brad! And then we have uh, Bloody Popcorn, uh, which is... uh, uh, Joanna and um, uh, Johnny's uh, husband and wife kind of duo discussing movies and <laughs> and their children watching movies and stuff like that. And then the AXPX podcast, which is Sean's religious uh, kind of, I wouldn't say religious, it's a really kind of philosophy. Philosophy, religion, everything. Not really so much movie related, but music and and things like that. And then Sean also has a new show debuting called, uh, is it Xenopod from the year 5000? Oh, I love it. And then we also uh, recently, um, so that was on the network that was announced today. Uh, Shortly after we we announced that, we had another... um, podcast sign on called brew bloods that um talk about beer and movies so uh that was another uh show that we have joining our network and probably a few more to come we're trying to build this up um one thing and like i said no hard feelings anywhere there is um we want to build a community a safe community a, a beautiful community of podcast and and um and, you know, people with ambition to, to do stuff on their own. Too many, some of these networks is just saying, oh, I'm part of this network. We want to actually network people together. So if you listen to the Shot and Video podcast, we're going to introduce you to other shows in our network and kind of keep that going. Share share listeners, share exposure. And it's going to be in a useful way. Absolutely. So, um, and, and, you know, to that, to that point, Brad, if you are a SOV POD subscriber – uh, you need to know that this past Wednesday was when Sean DeRager's new show, Xenopod from the Year 5000, dropped an episode on This Island Earth, one of my favorite movies. A movie I watch, Brad, you, you, you don't know this about me, but I watch it at least three times a week to help me go to sleep. And that's probably happened for the last 15 years. This Island Earth, he, he did an episode on it. I'm a little, uh, sad I wasn't there, but, uh, I will be there in March. 
Um, also, tomorrow on January 20th, you can hear uh, the Splat House do an episode on 1986's Neon Maniacs. And Brian Sowers' Just the Discs podcast will continue to drop week to week. And Screamcast returns February 2nd on the Screaming Pods Network. So, please go and grab... I believe it's available through VCI grab splatter farm. And then you're going to have to do some legwork uh, through YouTube or through the dark internet or the back channels uh, <laughs> on the web to find how to slay a vampire. But we're, we're going to be doing some Polonia brothers next week. Brad, anything else uh, to say before we get out of here? I want to, I want to hit the button, buddy. You can hit that button. I love you. I love people listening. I still hope that you continue to listen to our show and our banter and about these amazing films that no one is watching, basically, aside from a few diehards. Um, and we really want to open up um, to people because I think shot on video turns people away, but there's a certain way you should watch these films. And I hope that we can show you that way while you eat junk food and um, whatnot. Right. And, and, and look to, to our dear beloved, uh, 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 ad advertiser Arby's. Look, we, we didn't mean to call you junk, baby. Arby's is not junk. Arby's is life. You're, you're beautiful, sweetheart. And, uh, we thank you so much for donating the gift card that, uh, we will be giving away to one of our fair listeners that knows their male gay pornography. And look, if you know, the the title that Brad mentioned within what did you say fifty five minutes to to one hour ten minutes hour and ten yeah, yeah in in that first episode if you know the gay porn title that Brad references he doesn't say hey here's the name of the movie I was watching last week at, at work while I was on the clock getting paid to do things no he doesn't say that he he just casually mentions a gay porn like like you do like you do and. uh if you know what it is, DM us on Twitter at T-H-E-S-O-V-P-O-D. Tell us the answer. We'll enter you in a drawing. And will we tell them next week, Brad, one week on the Polonia show? We'll tell them who won? Yes, sir. All right. Let's do it. So for Brad F. Henderson, for Arby's, the best goddamn roast beef sandwiches on this planet, motherfucking Earth, and for the Screaming Pods Network and all the Screaming Pods uh, podcast family, this is Mike D. saying, see you on the other side, bitches. Hells yeah. <laughs>
I'm fucking saying right now because it is a quarter in my car. You can hear me so good, Brad. You can hear me so good. You can hear me sing my song to you, my friend. Let's eat some fucking hobbies. Let's eat it right now. Let's eat some fucking hobbies. Naked in the hotel. Hotel, motel, holiday inn. If Brad starts acting up, then he'll take my friend. That doesn't make any sense, you know it doesn't, don't you know? I'm turning on my phone again, you know my phone's a fuck. I wanna fuck my phone. I wanna fuck my phone. He wants to fuck his phone. I'm gonna fuck my phone. He's gonna fuck his phone. I'm fucking my phone right now. My dick is in the slot. My cock is not bigger. My cock is stuck now in the auxiliary hole of my phone. Alright, now he's gonna call me back. What's up, dude? Yo. Mike. Hello, can you hear me? Yes. All right, cool. I sang you a song for about three minutes, so don't use that for anything, Mm, okay? Sexy. Don't use it for anything. Don't you dare. All right. All right. Well, I will not. All right, give give me two seconds here. I'm going to jump right into something. All right. 